You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. Make sure to subscribe so that you can listen weekly because every Monday I have a new guest on who inspires and intrigues me and we get into the journey of their life, the ups, the downs, how they've made their dreams happen, the insights they've learned along the way, all of it. And on today's episode, we have two-time Grammy Award-winning artist and mother, Melanie Fiona. You guys, if you don't know Melanie Fiona, hit pause right now. Go pull up any sort of music platform or even YouTube and type in Melanie Fiona and listen to a song. Her voice, her voice is so powerful and has so much soul and so much feeling. I love it, and I loved getting to know her even more in this conversation. So here we go. Learn all about Melanie, her journey in becoming an artist, claiming to be a singer, and why she calls herself the singing nurse, among other things. Here we go. I met a woman who is a joyologist. Uh, That is her designation for her career. That is what she does. And I'm like, what an amazing life path. Like, I never, never forgot that. I never. Love that. I, I used to I tell people. That because like, I didn't know. Cause yeah, that was nine years ago. We I, happened to sit up, be sitting at a table next to each other, got in a conversation. I then became obsessed with you and your music would be like listening to it, dancing in my apartment. But then as time went on, like I was like still following, but not there. And so then when I saw what, that's what happened one day. I saw you shared one of my posts on Instagram because then I found you. And I was like, what? Melanie Fiona? I was like, this is the same girl I met at the table. It was really full circle. No, and I was like, she's following me. Yes. She shared my post. Yes, because I, I, I used to tell people about you. I used to really legitimately be like, I met a woman who is a joyologist. And I'm like, what a thing. And you were the first person like in like real life yeah. that put that into context as a reality. Yeah. And I just more power to you. And like, I'm just so happy we're here now. Yeah, I love it. That's what I'm saying. It's so crazy. It was like nine years ago, a couple days ago, because I got the Facebook oh, reminder. Facebook. The good old reminder. So funny. All right. So here we are now. And as I know you as a singer, so... Was that something like, did you grow up as a little girl, like always like, I'm going to be a singer? What was your journey? In so that? my journey to singing professionally was a really interesting one because from a very young age, for like, I mean, I always had a love for music. My mom, my mom used to play like loud Whitney Houston so I could sleep in my crib. Like she, like I had to have it. Wait, that's play. what she played for you. To oh yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, play me a ballad while I go to sleep. <gasps> Six months old. Blessed it for me, mom. That's um, amazing. And so I couldn't fall asleep without music. Um, by the age of like three, four, I used to say I wanted to be a singing nurse, which was like a really weird thing for a three-year-old to come up with. But I actually had it written in a book. My mom would write down and ask questions and she'd put it in my baby book. And I always ha- carried this idea. Like I used to tell that story as it was really funny as I would grow up. Like, oh, I want to be a singing nurse. Ha ha ha. Um, but as a kid, I was extremely shy when it came to singing. Oh. Not personality, just singing. I didn't want anybody to ask me to sing. I didn't want anybody to look at me when I sang, but I loved it. Oh. But I just didn't want to perform for people. I did not want to sing for my aunts and uncles and like, at the talent show. I didn't want to do any of that. 
And um, so you would be singing all around your house all the time and everything like that. But then your mom like, oh, sing, come on. Look, she's such a good singer. She wants to be a singer. Like that sort of prodding. No, like are you weren't like people are gathering. Hey, let me sing for you. Like some no, kids are. do not even look. You sang all the time, but. Did not want to perform for anybody. Didn't even want to share with anybody, which is really interesting. Um, even though people knew I could sing. Everyone knew I could sing. Like at school, friends, every because I was just always singing. But the minute it was supposed to be like the thing to do, I right. was like, nope, coward away. And I was not a shy child, like I said. So I ended up like playing sports. Um, I never really did anything associated with singing and music. Like I wasn't in theater or choir, no like- choir, none of that. Like I just sang because I loved it. And when I turned 13, we moved. And when we moved from where we were, we were in the city and it was like filled with diversity and culture. And then we moved to the suburbs, which was not diverse at all. And I experienced extreme withdrawal from everything. Like I, I was angry and aggressive. And when I started high school and I didn't want to, like you had to choose your elective, which was either music or art. I chose art. Oh, and I just stopped singing. And, and how old were you? I was like 13. Okay. Like I was like 14. Yeah. 14 years old by the time I started high school. And I remember feeling like it was so weird because singing was this thing that I had always identified with. And all of a sudden now I wanted no parts. I didn't want anybody to know I could sing. I did not, like I just took Did on, you even sing like by yourself anymore? Not really, hmm. not really. And actually I'd gone through a couple traumatic things at that time um, where my grandmother who had lived with and raised me my whole life, she'd passed away who was living with us. And then um, when we moved, I made a new friend who was of the same Caribbean background as me and we became friends. And over the summer that we were going to start high school together, she died in a tra- tragically died in a car, a- car accident. Oh, man. Especially at that age. Yeah. So I'm- I think it really just spiraled me into like a very dark place. And I just think that because singing was this light that was in me, I just think feeling dark, it didn't resonate. The yeah. light, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't feel connected to it anymore. And then as I kind of came back to the light and started finding my way and feeling, better about my individuality and myself in high school. Cause like, that's such a crazy time as a teenager. You just want to fit in, but you don't fit in. And you know, um, that's when like, I almost committed suicide mm. at like 15, you know, I had medical stuff. Like I have fibromyalgia. So I had chronic pain that was undiagnosed by then all sorts of stuff. And then, but also just like, it's teen years, teen years, hormones, freaking hard, other teens, it's just, it's still the stuff we live with now. Wow. Cause it's like, but it's like, that's when it fully comes on. I think of like the realizing of like, what am I supposed to be where, like, say you want everyone to like you, you want, you know, the other gender, whatever, yeah. whatever direction you are, you, you are, want people to like yeah. me, you want your friends, you want to, what makes me cool. Like it's so much questioning and like self-judgment and like yeah. trying to fit in, which is really like what we end up taking with us the rest of the, our life. But that's like where it's majorly. And then, of coming. course, like everyone's telling you that, like, you know, this is the time you need to figure out what you're doing. Right. It's like, bleh. I wish I would have known what I know now and not put that much pressure on myself to figure it out, you know. And so I think like it was towards the end of high school. I started to, again, like I said, come back to the light and really just become more comfortable in my own skin. And I really had to start questioning what made me me rather than feeling lost in this like environment, in this like cultural abnormality for me because I was a minority in this school and I just felt so much like 
at times I could feel racial tension and like just not feeling understood based off of like my cultural background. So was, yeah, was the area that you moved to, was it then mostly white? They were all Ita- it was all Italian. All Italian. All Italian. Wow. Yeah. So not even. Like- not even like just white Canadian, but like all Italian. Wow. Yes. So it's a very specific culture, you yeah. know, which is Italian. And like, I mean, I have tons of Italian friends too. Um, but again, not feeling understood. Again, coming from the city where I'm just I'm surrounded by people. I say what, I, you know, where my family's from, yeah. where I'm from. And I've got three friends that are like that. And everyone knows. I didn't have to explain myself. So. You know, going there was a huge culture shock. And like I said, once I started to kind of get more comfortable in my individuality and just being like, okay, well, what is it that makes you you? Like, what is it that you do better than anything else? And I was a good student. I was good at sports. I was good at a lot of things, but so was everyone else, you know? And I was like, but what is that thing that you are like inside? And it's like, you sing. And so it was like in my senior year, I did some talent show and the school was like, what? Like you, who, <laughs> you sing, ding, you, uh, you sing. And I was like, yeah, I sing. And then that kind of started the journey to professional singing. Um, after I got out of high school, I took a year off of, of high school before going to college. And I was in a girl group in Toronto. And- Wait, so like that was just you sang at the talent show, yeah. which phone dinging was like, ding, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, ding, ding, ding. And then you then instead of that was just it. You're like, I'm going to this is my thing. Yeah. I'm going for it. Yeah. And I met a I met a guy in Toronto. Um, He was a rapper, but he he had like these producers that he was working with. And he was like, you're really dope. And, you know, you should meet these producers that I'm working with. And then I met the producers and the producers are like, look, we're putting together a girl group. And I had never seen myself being in a girl group, but I was just like. Uh, it's something to do. It's a sing a singing situation. Yeah. And in fact, one of the girls that was in the group, I'm still extremely just one of my best friends. We're still friends to get to this wow. day, which was that was the blessing through it. But um, it was obviously not what was going to be meant for me. And once that group situation broke up, I went back to college. I started college, and um, I promised my parents I would. I was. That's like, what I was about to say. What did your parents think about then? You being like all of a sudden. So my dad was cool with it. Um, my mom actually was not. She was like, what do you mean? You're just, you know, so backstory is my dad is, my dad's in finance. Like he's a financial advisor. My mom has been in banking for her whole life. She's retired now. Um, but my dad also was a free spirit. My dad used to play in a band on the weekends and ride a motorcycle oh, okay. back home in Guyana. And like, he's an artist, he paints. And like, so I think that he always had that understanding of like, yeah, life is long, go right. pursue your dreams. And so- I did have supportive parents, thankfully, in that time when I was in that girl group. And we did. We had like a little bit of, you know, like local success and it was great. But then, you know, it was a girl group. So it was destined to end. <laughs> <laughs> right, because it's true. Even the biggest ones. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, we um, we went our separate ways. And then I promised my parents, I was like, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'll go back to college. And I did. And then when I went back to college and I then met um, at the time my previous manager who Basically, we built my career from then that point on. And so I was doing music in college. No, I was going to school in college, but then like traveling to like Los Angeles and like recording and doing all these crazy. It was like a double life for me. And how did you meet this manager from doing the stuff with the girl group? Um, yes, actually, it was a stylist from Toronto who had met her. She was actually living in Toronto at the time, my old manager, and um, she was in music and. Her husband was a uh, professional basketball player, her ex-husband. 
who played for the Raptors and Toronto Raptors at the time. So they were stationed in Toronto. Oh, okay. And so I was introduced to her in that, in that time while they lived there. And so then she's like, listens to you, believes in you. She's like the one that's pushing. Okay, yep. we're going to get you to LA, meet you this person, record. Like she was like dr- driving yep. for a while. And like, then the rest is history. <laughs> and then from there, it was all I did, music. Did you end up dropping out of college then? I did not. I, oh, wow. No, I did not. I had to switch majors because I was in accounting and finance. Why? Because I don't like math, but I was actually really good at it. And uh, I actually, because they had like an intern, you had to like do like a co-op placement in order to graduate with that. And because music started taking off for me and I was pursuing a record deal and things were looking really good, I switched my major to business. So I just, I ended up graduating with business. And it's really interesting because I graduated, I didn't walk, I didn't go to my graduation. You know, I didn't, I didn't see the importance of it. I didn't go to my graduation either. At the time, you know, looking <laughs> back, I feel like that would have been cool for my parents at least, you know, no, I don't feel but it's okay. Way. My parents got to see me collect <laughs> Grammys. So like, I'm like, we did something else. It's fine. <laughs> we did something else. Yeah, we did something else. We did. We walked a different red carpet. Did you not go to the graduation ceremony because you were- I was away. Working. Yeah. yeah. I t- accepted my first like work. I was a sound engineer first. I don't even remember that. I was a monitor engineer. Amazing. So I got a job working for one of the biggest sound companies in California and moved before in like a couple months before I graduated, they like flew back to take my finals and then didn't go to my graduation because I'm like, I'm already working. Why do I, why do I need to do this? I know. And then but they I ma- got my degree yeah, for my parents. They mailed me, <laughs> they mailed me my diploma. It was awesome. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> and so what was the experience like of then like, okay, this is happening. Like recording the like, what did that feel like to you of now? Like this dream is happening. Like, do you remember like doubts and fears or were you just like, yes, like this is it. Like, so you feel like it's happening and then you realize it doesn't happen like that. Right. And so, so it's like, yeah, oh my gosh. And then wait, yeah, what's happening? Like exactly. That, sort of? And so actually the funniest part is, is that I had, you know, been like in boot camp for like, recording boot camp, like working on all these songs, creating a demo, working on music, shopping a record deal, I get my record deal. And then I am stuck in Canada for eight months without a work visa. Oh. And so that time was wild because you build up to like this whole thing is like, oh my God, I'm going to get, I'm going for a record deal. I'm going for a record deal. I get the record deal. Yay. You think it's immediate success. And then it was like, oh, wait for eight months. And was that strictly just because of paperwork? Paperwork. Yeah. Wow. And from you being a Canadian citizen. And so traveling, you know, traveling back and forth for like leisure was fine. And like pursuing a dream was fine. But the minute they found out I had a universal recording artist behind me, they were like, oh, you want to work in the States? And I was like, well, not really. Like, I'm not making any money right now. They're like, yeah, but you have an intention to make money. and You will make money. And I was like, oh. And so they had to like do this whole petition. I had to get an immigration lawyer. Wow. And again, it was also, it, it was really depressing because I remember I had to stay through the winter, which was awful because <laughs> Canadian winters are awful. And what did you do then in the meantime while you're in Canada? Are you I, still in like working on your music or are you just like waiting? So I, two things that I did, which I'm really proud of in that time was I would record at home in my closet. I would self-record myself and I had a little setup and use my clothes as like the buffer to absorb the yeah. sound um, for people who are, you know, the, you normally have like a soundproof room when you're recording in the booth. So I made that with a pantyhose popper stopper <laughs> over my microphone. And then I took up boxing 
And I got oh. like super regimented about life. Cause then after I was like, well, treat it like you got to be prepared. Like you're so, getting, I'm getting ready, you're getting ready for, for the Olympics <laughs> of singing. Okay. So when you go and you get there, you're going to be a one. And so for eight months, I was like in the gym, recording in the gym, recording in the gym. And then as soon as I got my paperwork, I was out of there. And were you writing your own songs? Yeah, I was writing. I was working with other artists in Toronto. I was recording things that people would send me. So like at the time I had a a record out that was doing really well in the reggae market, like the reggae genre of music. And so I had all these DJs from Jamaica like, hey, can you send me a drop? Can you like do this? So I was creating these like. So you were still able to work and like, yeah, feel like you were doing it. That's cool. So then what happened? Eight months passed. Paperwork is through. Went straight to the States um, and then continued to work on my album. And that was that. Yeah. And then like shortly after that, I don't even remember what year that was. Um, But I just know that I released my first album in 2009. And then, but in 2008, I went on tour with with Kanye West. Oh, okay. Yes. So the year prior. Yeah. So was that why so that was before you were No, I had my record deal. Oh, okay. And I was working on my album. And I once the album was finished, I toured with Kanye. And so was that opening act or your Yeah, it was an opening act. Um, we did the European tour. So that was my first time going to like Europe. Actually, had I been to no, I hadn't been to Europe yet for that reason for like work. And I went on tour and it was crazy. I had my first tour bus. And and at that point too, like, did you feel like, were you able to create your own like artistic identity or were people no. trying to push you to be like, okay, you're gonna need this. No, you want me to look like this, be like this. Or... So that actually came before the tour. Yeah. Um, and actually before the record deal. Like before, as soon as they hear your voice, okay, we like you like this. 100%, yeah. And what was and that like for you? I'm guessing you're just so eager, like, yes, make music. Okay. Yes and no. You did um, fight back. Yeah, some. I did fight back on many things. And that's kind of like where the first album came from. And I worked with an amazing songwriter named Andrea Martin on that first album, who I learned so much from, who was also Guyanese like me uh, in Heritage. Wow. And she was from Brooklyn and she could sing her ass off. And she just was the songwriter that I needed to help give this voice an identity right. because I didn't know again, like working with all these different producers and like figuring out who I was as a songwriter. And you do, you go down these so many avenues and I'm sure there's demos out there that I would never want anyone to hear. Cause I was like, Ooh, somebody's like, just try it, just try it. And um, I'm really thankful that I found Andrea because we were able to make that album, which sampled all the oldies. Like I, I grew up listening to Sam Cooke and of course being Caribbean, like lots of reggae inspired music and, old soul. And that's what, that's what felt natural to me. R&B, that's what felt natural to me. And so meeting Andrea really allowed me to sing songs that I think gave me a really good platform and a start of an identity as an artist. And, um, and then I went on tour with those songs and it was great. It was awesome. And that's what like, even like, did you have lots of other people coming into like, even like I said, what you wear, what your hair used to look like or that? Were you able to be like, because I feel like with women, there's so much more. Like with men, sure, okay, sure, you want to wear that shirt, same shirt every that day, white and never and shave, and like 
cool. Wear that whatever hat. Like you're fine. Yeah. And I with females, I mean, I think a lot is created on our own of what yes. we're supposed to look like in this and what's going to be my identity. Yes. But then there's also so many more voices I feel weighing in on that. Yeah, definitely have ex- had my fair share of that throughout my entire career. Even yeah. To present day. Yeah. And how do you deal with that? Or how did you deal with it then that maybe differs from now? You know, what was cool was at the time I had a female manager, which was amazing. And she was an ally for me in, yeah. that, in that space where, you know, I could often pull things from her closet, which was awesome. She had a fantastic closet. <laughs> um, and then she also had great style. And so she was also really helping keep me, you know, protected. And like, I would, but I would definitely be like, I don't really feel comfortable in certain things that other people would suggest. And most times I would end up just like styling myself. I mean, even to this day, I still, most of the time, like to shop for myself. I do my own hair and makeup. Sometimes I don't want to do my own hair. <laughs> but like I definitely, most times you see me do my own makeup. Um, and I just kind of be, had to learn to become self-sufficient and I just didn't want to have to rely on other people. It's also really fucking expensive Yeah. Um, to pay a stylist to style you to go to the mall. Like <laughs> people do this and it's like, I'm just, I was just never that person. I just never got really, I think, caught up in the idea. And, you know, who knows if that's a good or bad thing as far as like your representation as an artist or your branding. But I just want to be a human being at the end of the day. And so it's like, I don't ever want to have to feel like I'm trying ever to meet the standards or the opinions of other people. I always just was like, does this make me feel good? Do I feel comfortable in this? Great. That's amazing. Yeah. I just never wanted to succumb to that type of pressure. And I, I think, again, like I said, having a female manager it, who was a strong personality and really was very honorable with my self-respect and knew who I was as a person, she did a really amazing job of being that buffer and just being like, no, we're not going to put her in that environment. No, yeah. we're not wearing that. No, we're not posing for that. That's great. Yeah. And it was it was great because as a young woman, you need that. Yeah. And unfortunately, you see too often so many young women most times at the direction of men who have no idea what it is to be a woman. Ugh. And, um, and they just, you know, feel misled or lost or taken advantage of. And, yeah, you know, I'm thankful that that really wasn't my experience. Yeah, that's great. I, Cause that's what I'm like. I've been around a lot too. And like seeing that and like that it can create a lot of then confusion in the person's mind. I don't even know. What am I supposed to be doing? Like, again, like back to being in high school. Like, what should I, what? What? What will people think of me? What outfit do I look like that? That makes me be this person and this or that. Yeah, like it's so much stuff. I just feel like I never, to be honest, I don't think that it's impossible because I do think there's really great representation and, and synergy between teams of like styling and management and agency and all of that. And, and I feel like when you can see I feel like you can see the success of an artist when those things are very much aligned, you know? Yeah. Um, And you see like they're happy and they're a whole person and it feels authentic to you. I always use Janelle Monae as a perfect example for this because all from everybody, from her producers to her team, to her styling, to everything that she's ever been able to do, it's who she is. She's been able to express herself while branding herself and still being a respected artist and human being. And so I think that that's really important. I don't, I don't ever feel like I, I've seen a disingenuine moment with Janelle. Yeah. Um, shout out to Jane. I love you. You're amazing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 um, I think that that's, that's a really great example of when you see somebody who, who stays true to honoring what they are and what they do and not allowing the noise of people to come in and be like, this is what you should look like and wear and do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, let's go to then you're touring with Kanye West. What is does anything come up in your mind of like, oh, yay, I, I'm doing this, but like, am I going to be enough? What is people going to think of me? Or what's how the audience is going to react? And how did you deal with that? Like the actual performing? And- I learned very different than my younger self. <laughs> and at this point was I had to control the room immediately. You have to go out there and command the attention that you mm. want. And Especially so, as an opening. I mean, as any artist, but an opening, people are like, get out of the way. And who as are a, you? And as an R&B artist on a hip hop tour, right. like, what? The only R&B artist on a hip hop tour. So bizarre. Um, but I knew I had something to prove. And so I had to get out there and not show up. This bracelet is um, <laughs> it's singing to us. Um, I had to go out there and prove that I earned my spot on this tour. I had to go out there and be a fearless performer. I had to go out there and be aggressive in nature and not shy or, or uh, what's the word, delicate Yeah, as a woman dancing around in heels. Like I had to go out there and be my best Tina Turner. You yes. know what I mean? And so to command that energy and have people be like, damn, she could really sing and she's really performing and like, okay, whether R&B is my thing or not, like, I got to respect that girl because totally. she's true. And so that's what it was. And it was great every night. I loved it. I loved every night. I loved every night when the, the music stopped working and my microphone cut out. I loved every night when there was no one in the room and it was just like the, as the opener, you're performing to when people were yeah. walking in and, you know, how do you make an impact? And yeah, I loved it all. Yeah. Do, and how, do I love you, the shitty tour bus I had, which smelled like old <laughs> cigarettes from the 70s. And yeah, European tour buses. Oh, I remember back then, too. They were not as nice. These days, they're much better. Listen, <laughs> I pulled up. We, I can't remember where we were, what, what city it was. And we pulled up in a garage where all the, all the uh, tour buses were. And this was I didn't know what the other tour buses looked like because you're just in and off yeah. your bus. You go, I'm not staying at the same hotels as Kanye. <laughs> yeah. I'm not staying at the same hotels as anyone else. We're staying yeah, at like the best Western area, yeah, different area. It's like the best Western of London, England, like wherever you can stay. And um, and I remember we pulled into this garage at one of the arenas. And that was the first time I had seen the actual tour buses for everyone else. And mine just looked like a school bus compared to these tour buses. <laughs> like it was it was so humbling. It was so humbling. <laughs> yeah. But so also going back to growing up and things, you were like, didn't want to perform in front of people. Do you know what shifted? I mean, even I guess the talent show then you did, like, was there something that shifted in you to get to like, okay, or like to, or was there like a pep talk or anything like that got you to like, so this it, is my thing. It I'm was before it. I got a record deal and I was still like performing songs that I had been recording independently. Um, and I got an opportunity to open for, uh, Keisha Cole and Robin Thicke at the House of Blues here in LA. And I don't remember what year this was, but I remember I had to miss my mom's 50th birthday for it. And I remember feeling so torn. That was really my first dose of, of oh, you're going to have to be making some sacrifices for yeah. this thing, by the way. Um, but my parents were, again, super supportive. And I remember getting ready for that show. And I remember being in rehearsals. And the woman, her name was Ania, who who got me the opportunity, who had the relationship with the managers and they were like, give this new artist an opportunity to, you know, to open up. She came to my rehearsal and she basically scared the shit out of me. She was like, if you think you're going to get up on the stage 
and perform the way you're performing in rehearsal right now. It's funny that you're asking me this because I just remembered this the other day and I was like, this is a very important moment for me. And I remember she was just like, you have to get up there and you have to win every one over because my neck is on the line here. Like I vouched for you. And if you think you're gonna get up there and not be as great as you are, then tell me now because I will, we, we don't have to do this. Wow. And I cried and I remember being terrified and it kicks my ass into gear. And I got up on that stage and I remember getting out there and performing and being free and being uninhibited and being just so almost just proud of myself. Yeah. And not being shy and not holding back and not being humble and not being scared. And that was the performance that absolutely solidified who I, who I was as a performer, 100%. I know the moment it happened, um, it was that performance. And I just remember being like, okay, if you could do that as your very first public performance, you cannot go, you can't go down from that. And so that was, that was it. That's amazing though. That like, yeah, she was like, uh, uh-uh. yeah, she was like, no, <laughs> she's like, you're either going to be as great as you are. And you're going to show people that or you're not. And we can just move on from here. And what do you think? Like, I mean, were you holding back because you're just like, oh, it's just a sound check. Or were you like in doubt sort of like I think it was a little bit of I think it was a little bit of both. And I think that at that time I hadn't had enough experience live performing, even though I'd been a part of a girl group and I had done some shows out here at like the UCLA Jazz and Reggae Festival and like blah, blah, blah. But like I didn't really understand that market of being in that. R&B audience where they're no singer where they know singers very well right and then also being a new talent coming out and just kind of thinking singing was enough like recognizing the 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 performance aspect of it to be what makes you a strong performer there's a million strong singers out there but are you going to get out there and put on a show or are you just going to get out there and be cute and what does that mean, like by putting on a show? Because that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean like you're dancing your ass off. Oh no, I'm, I mean I'm not like, a dancer. Just like you're in, you're the in music. it, and that's exactly it. And I think that that's really what I had to really start to embody was you are a singer. You are a. This isn't a hobby anymore. This like is your, it's not part of you. No, it's not it's part of you. you. This is who you are. Like you have to get out there and shine and be, be that, be your natural self. And so you know, I always say when people come to see me, it's not pretty. I sing ugly that my, I never get the cute photos on stage when a photographer is shooting me on stage. It's always like <laughs> mouth wide open, vocal cords strained. Cause um, you are double, in ch- it. double chin in fa- <laughs> intact. Like I'm in it and I love it. And I can, I, I just couldn't imagine not singing from that place. And that after that performance, then I make up that feeling then yes. is like, oh, okay. Yes. This, this yeah so then not every time you're stepping on stage you're like and all the people that that were that were in my corner rooting for me that I was able to like really get their stamp of approval like wow you did that like you I could you couldn't have done any better as your first major performance here as a as a you know new artist and um and that was a really good boost of confidence for me I think you know to kind of just be like oh yeah like Maybe you are really good at this thing. And like, yeah, keep going. Awesome. So do you, can you think of any time in your career? And I know you mentioned that you lost your voice at one point, but like, was there a moment in your career? And I don't know if that was the first one or a major time where you're like, sort of like, 
okay, something's off here. Something's got to change. Was that like you're working too hard or like what was happening? Um, I toured with Alicia Keys in 2011. And that was a major tour. That was much like the, the, you, the Kanye West tour was just for a few weeks. The Alicia Keys tour was for a few months. And we did all of North America as well as Europe. And um, we were actually going to do, it was supposed to be a world tour, but then she was pregnant. And oh, so, wow, yeah, yeah. And then she announced that she was pregnant. And so she stopped um, the tour. We didn't end up doing the world, the world, like the Asian markets and Africa and stuff. But um, is that too, just then singing with like, then you're on stage with a singer or yes. not on stage, but sharing the yes. tour. With, and it's just the two of us. So did that bring up a different than like Kanye West? You're like, oh, okay, it might be like, oh, I'm different, but that kind of let pressure off. Like yeah. I'm the R&B singer on this tour, but then you're like, oh, no big deal. Just on yes. tour with Alicia Keys. And you know, the thing is, is that Alicia Keys was such a huge inspiration for me. And yeah. like, you know, there were so many similarities as far as like where our music lived and our fan base and our audience. And so it was a dream come true to tour with Alicia because I love her. I love her to this day. I think that she's, I think that she's a whole person. Yeah. And that is what I've, al- I think that's what I've always seen in her was integrity and honesty and talent and also like just imperfection. Like she like didn't have to be perfect all the time. She didn't have to look like all the other R&B pop artists. She was doing her own thing. It was musical. It was, it was real. And so dream come true to tour with her. But at the end of that tour, I felt shattered. I was very thin um, just from, you know, lots of running and gunning and like not eating three meals consistently a day because you're on a tour bus and you're in different markets and you don't know if there's food. What's the food in your local market? You're just yeah. grabbing stuff to go. Um, and I came off of that tour and I was shattered and my health felt completely um, out of whack. I felt exhausted. I felt aggressive. I felt anxious and on edge all the time. And I had to get to the bottom of that. And that's when I had to tell my team, like, hold on. Like, I don't know what's next on the calendar, but I got to figure out what's going on with my health because I don't feel like myself. I don't feel well. And um, that's when I became a vegetarian. (laughs) That's when I became a vegetarian. And I had to just start implementing different practices as far as um, foods with eating and habits and mindfulness and just all of it. It just became a whole thing. I had to switch. It was all nutrition then that I had to switch. And I remember the, the um, naturopath that I saw, he was just like, you, you got to treat your body differently based off of what you do for a living. Like, like if you worked a regular job, maybe you could get away with the way that you you're eating and ingesting, but the, the lifestyle that you live on the road, constantly moving in the air, germs, different climates, different, you know, pollution, all of it. He's like, you have to be far more diligent with your health if you want to do it for a long time. And that's, that was the first change. Yeah. It is such a, like, you're putting your body under so much stress. So even if you're not like, I'm stressed out, your body is under so much stress from like not ever stopping moving and like constantly like, yeah, like there's oftentimes not very much sleep and lots of trains and buses and strangers and this and interviews and questions and being like on even like changing. I don't know if that's, even if you're not changing your personality, it is just a different like. Oh my God. Having to answer questions all day long. Like it's exhausting, especially like when you're in promo mode, you have to, sometimes you have a day that's just back-to-back interviews of from the same morning questions to evening, different outlets. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, talking that long is exhausting. It's just giving so much of yourself from stage to personality. It is draining. 
And you don't really, that's why it is so important to have those practices to be able to preserve and replenish. Um, and, you know, in my, this is my 20s, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm just going along with it, going along yeah, with you're it. You're just like eating whatever, just doing whatever, whatever saying yeah. yes to everything. And then yes. all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, don't say yes to that. Pause. Yeah. That's what, you know, I'm big about saying no, but like, I think saying yes is so awesome. And there are so many opportunities, but I was like, oh, you have to say no to things. Like, do you actually want that or not? But then it was like realizing, oh, you actually are going to have to say no to even awesome things. Yes. Like, because you have to then realize like, how can I be like, what is the biggest priority to me? Absolutely. Or like, okay, I need my best health. So I'm going to have to say no to that awesome event or because that means flying here into that. And like, how can I show up? But like really like getting like, and that's too, like, I think I had like an exhaustion moment on tour one time too, where like, I, I had to, like was in like an office all day long with IVs, IVs attached to me and yes. like everything like, oh, I've hit that like, be basically like being put in the hospital for exhaustion level. And I was living an amazing life. I was taking really good care of myself. I was eating the best things. I was doing yoga. I was doing that. But I was really enjoying life and saying yes to so many things and not prioritizing my sleep yes. or just like whatever. And like I had to turn down a major opportunity to go to Antarctica <sighs> for 10 days because I was just like, I think I need those 10 days to lay in bed. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and yes. it was like so hard. But I was like, I have to start saying no to things, mm -hmm. even like once in a lifetime thing. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it just it is what it is. Nitrisha popping in to remind you, I'm offering you a very special discount code, a whole 25 percent off at my shop. You can use it one time only. It's good through December 31st. Use it to stock up on presents for your friends, for your loved ones, for your kids' teachers, for your coworkers, for yourself. I got mugs. I got wine glasses. I got magnets. I got the keychains, the affirmation deck. You can buy a four-pack of affirmation decks, and they're perfect to have on hand to give to anybody. Journals, all sorts of goodies. Go to shop.yourdualgist.com. And use code CLAIMIT25. And if you didn't know, my daily inspiration app that's called Own Your Awesome in the App Store, you can gift that as well. So you can go to the App Store, type in Own Your Awesome, and then it'll, you'll be able to gift it, send it. It's only $3.99 and send daily inspiration to someone you love. So it doesn't cost a lot of money to give something thoughtful. Send the app. Oh, I also have ornaments right now too. Give somebody an ornament that says, I am magic. See the good. So much good stuff. Shop.yourdryologist.com. Use code CLAIMIT25. Let's get back to the episode. So was that, was that your like breakthrough thing? Is that when you ended up losing your voice? Was the losing your voice no, a different story? No, losing my story? voice came, is a completely different okay. story. So you at least... Okay, starting to learn to take better care of yes, yourself. Yes, from, from like a nutritional standpoint. Yeah. Um, you know, from a, from a just lifestyle standpoint, um, I've never been a big partier or drinker or anything. So like, I never was going hard at, as far as that, but when the relationship I was in at that time, when that relationship ended, which was 2012, I moved to New York 
And that's when everything started to get really crazy. And what made you move to New York? The relationship was over. And I had... You just needed I, it. I, I actually... We started... When we first started dating, I was living in New York. And I moved to LA oh, to okay. be with him, basically. Okay. Um, so you're like, it's done. I'm going yeah, back I'm going Because I always wanted to be in New York. Yeah. Like, New York is closer to Toronto. It, it was... It culturally felt more similar yeah. to like my upbringing. And I was like, okay. And I had friends there. And I was like, New York at, at that time, by the way, was where music was, you know? LA was more television and movies. Right. And New York was music. And so I went to New York and I got my own place. And I finally felt my first self, like sense of independence, I could say. Like really, because prior to that, it was crashing with family, living with my manager, living out of hotels, being on the tour bus, right. living with my ex-boyfriend. Like I didn't have so this that. This is your first, my, like this is my space. Yes. I'm paying. I'm paying I chose this place. I, this yeah. is my coffee table. <laughs> I'm here. Yes. And I loved every second of it. Um, but in that time, I had put out the album. I put out my second album. It was 2012. And... I was dealing with the just trauma of heartbreak from that relationship, that of which I did not know, recognize what that was. You know, I'd been yeah. through breakups before, but I didn't realize how this one was manifesting itself and really just how his ugly energy was on me. And I did not understand. And so there was also some like professional changes going on at that time with my label. And I remember about six months into the year, 2012, I just, I couldn't sing for longer than 30 minutes. And this was a bizarre thing for me because as a powerhouse singer, that's all you got. You got to have more than 30 minutes in you of singing those songs because you all you have is big ballads. All you have are songs that people want to hear you sing your face off. So yeah. like, you can't be done in 30 minutes. And would that be like at shows or like you're recording oh, or like? It would be at shows and, I would, would just, and I'd be pushing like huh. 30 minutes. If I had a 45 minute set, I mean, those last 15 minutes were on a prayer they were on a prayer every time. And I remember it was right after my birthday. Yes, it was right after my birthday where I had recognized I was like, all right, this is Some, like, this is just something like, oh, else. this maybe it's just this one time I'm too tired no. or this. Maybe. And I had gone to see so many vocalists, vocal coaches and ear, nose and throat specialists. And they all just were like, there's nothing wrong with your vocal cords, girl. And it was my actual doctor in New York. Dr. Ronald Primus, I will say his name till the day I die because he was like an angel for me um, because he practiced Western medicine, but also but believed so strongly in Eastern medicine yeah. and actually took Eastern medicine on himself. Yeah. And so a lot of times when I got sick uh, before this all happened, he was the doctor that made me feel better. Like I got the flu one day and then like 24 hours later, I was over the flu thanks to his treatment. and like. You know, <laughs> there's a cat. The cat <laughs> just scared the absolute shit out of me. Um, a cat. Hello. Um, <laughs> it's so funny you coming over to say hi. <laughs> you came for the good part of the uh, the talk. And uh, what a beautiful cat, though. <laughs> hi. You coming up or what? That's funny. Um, yeah. And so he had taken such good care of me. So I had trusted him. So when he said to me, look, we've done all we can do from a medical perspective of trying to figure out what's going on with your hello, kitty. Oh, what a nice cat. Um, with all the things that, you know, you're going through. Why don't we try? Are you open to Eastern medicine? 
I just want you to know that the cat... I'm cracking up because we're recording this at my friend's house right now. And the last time I was here, the cat would not come anywhere near me. So the fact that the cat is now coming up and trying to be your best friend is like cracking me up. The fact that I am the least friendly cat person, by the way. Like, I'm not a cat person. I'm not really. I'm not a cat person at all. I love animals. I just am a dog person. And, you know, it's hard to be a dog and cat person at the same time. Okay. But this cat just literally came over to me like, I love you. Like, I see you. I'm just going to give you a little love right now. I received that. Thank you, cat. Um, Now the cat is gone. Now I'll go back to my lair. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'll go back to doing cat-like things. Um, And so when he said to me, are you open to Eastern medicine? And he too was like, nobody's seeing anything's wrong. But he's like, okay, you keep having this problem. He asked me, he said, it was actually between him and one one ear, nose, and throat specialist that I had gone to see in Toronto, actually. And he asked me, what type of year have you had? And I was like, well, I've had a pretty rough year. And he said, he told me about a story about a man who had lost, he was seeing a man for a cough that he had had for like six years. He's had this cough. Six years. Yes. And everybody was like, this cough just won't go away with this man. But he had no respiratory issues. It was nothing. And... um the he he had gotten to the root of the problem which was basically finding out that the man had lost his wife and his daughter in a car accident 6 years prior wow and his the, the source of his cough was, was like this pain. choked up oh. feeling like in not like allowing the emotion like, like right like that feeling you feel before you cry yeah just that uh, feeling was causing him to cough for six years he had never released the pain of that grieving so when he asked me what kind of year have you had i was like you know i've had a super emotional year i have experienced a intense breakup my professional career is changing um i'm i i just don't you know i just don't know what's going on and so when I went back to, to New York, that, that was when the doctor was like, I would really like to send you for some energy healing. And I was like, I'll try anything yeah. at this point. Um, he's like, I feel like your, your throat chakra might be blocked. And I was like, sure, sign me up. So I went for acupuncture. I went for three sessions. The cat Are you is, the same cat that lived here last time? The cat here. is like using your box. This like <laughs> her sound box is like a scratching pad. Like, what are you doing? I'm telling you dogs over cats. We love you cats, but I'm just saying I love dogs. Um, a dog might chew up your case though too. So, you know, <laughs> who's to say what's good or bad? But um, yeah, I, I was open to the idea. I went for a Reiki session. The very first treatment I had, I cried tears of a baby on the table. And that's like, they're not talking to you, right? It's like, they're like, it's all rubbing energy. hands. It's like, all energy healing. Like, they don't touch you, but sort of holding it. Yes, over top yeah. and moving the energy. And the woman that I went to see was a very, she was a very spirit, very rooted spiritual woman. So she wasn't like, because I've been to people who do Reiki and they feel just more like, it feels more surface. Yeah. This woman that I had was seeing, she was like a, a shaman she was very deep rooted in like her ancestors and it was very s- deeply spiritually connected um and so we would go from a um not just a reiki perspective but from a spiritual healing perspective so she would do past life regression and 
we would go deep and discover traumas. So it's past life regression. Like she's talking you through things. No, she, she, she would just be, it would literally be a silent session with her. And then then she would, we would debrief after actually, no, she would, I'm sorry. That's my other Reiki woman here in LA. (laughs) My woman in New York, Anjali, she would walk me through what she would see every time. Yeah. But you're not talking to her. She's just doing work. She's doing work. Wow. She's telling me what she's seeing. And it's very interesting. I, I can't, say that this is necessarily for everyone. I can only speak from my perspective and what my experience has been. But she was saying things that she had seen for me in my life, um, in, in previous lives of trauma, which caused me to burst into tears crying. Like probably things you haven't even thought about. Thought about, forever. but feel so real. That felt so real to me. Um, and whatever it was that, that she was describing that I had not experienced in this life. Oh. It's like the, the things that she was saying that I experienced traumas prior, which are, you know, they all connect and they carry and they carry right. and they carry. Past life. Past life stuff. It was deep. And I remember I, she, she had this like rattle thing. It feels yeah. like a rattle. It's like a spiritual rattle basically where in her ceremony, she basically is calling up all the negative energy, which she takes away and she's, you know, basically removing from your body, which is what Reiki is. is. And when she got to my throat, I, I'm not even kidding you, because I got on the table and I was like, uh, it's, what's really going to happen here? And I had a physical reaction. I started coughing and coughing and coughing. I, I can't make this up. I would never lie to you. Um, and I went for three more sessions with her and I went for acupuncture to just help release some like muscular yeah. tension in my neck and a chiropractor who like helped. And I went on tour for six weeks and I, not, I had not one vo- vocal problem after that day, after that treatment. Did you feel then some like whole energetic in your body, like free, like. So I will say that this is also aligned with the time in which I recognized that I had zero connection to spirituality. I grew up. I went to Catholic school. My mom's Catholic. My dad is Muslim. So I always had a worldview of of, um, religion, but wasn't religious. Right. Never religious. Um, And, but I also realized that I didn't have a spiritual or like emotional connection to anything bigger than myself. But you, did you feel like you were very connected to yourself though? Or was that also the sort of start? I was lost. I really realized I was lost in that time. And it was actually, um, one of my mentors, he, he's very spiritual person, um, very religious. He's Jewish, but very religious. But from a spiritual perspective, um, was just a good person, was very conscious of every decision he made in business as a human being um, from a very honest and like good place. And so one day we had a conversation and he was the one who pointed out to me, and this was all in the same time when I had discovered Reiki and everything, he was like, what's your connection to God? Like, do you talk to God? I don't care if it's praying or not. Like, do you talk to the universe? Are you speaking to your higher self? Because you are a light. And if you can be affected by the negative energy and people and experiences around you, you will suffer for the rest of your life. You have to find that connection to yourself and to God that allows you to be a light. And be impenetrable in the dark. Like you have to be so pure because that's who you are. That's who you're here to be. He's like, I see you. I know you. And 
all of that came up right in the time that I went for Reiki, right in the time that I started being awake. And in 2012, that was my word. And that's when everything started to shift for me. When I started to recognize that the source of my trauma in my vocal cords was the fact that I was not speaking my truth, that I was not, I was holding on to these things that I never got to say to my ex or my label or like some, like whatever it was, just all this tight aggression and anger and sadness and things that I didn't know how to process. And, um, and once I was able to really release that, say it out loud, share it to the universe, express my vulnerability, go for spiritual healing, um, acknowledge that I was carrying some things that I needed to work through and let go of and, and elevate myself. That's when everything changed and awake became the word and awake became the mantra and awake became everything that I did. And that's when I started to be more mindful of my company, of my words, of who I hung around with, of, you know, of, of opportunities that came along that didn't feel aligned with what I was doing. And in 2013, it was all about being happy, healthy, and creative. And any opportunity or anything that came that did not fall under making me feel happy, healthy, or creative, it was a no. So you had those, this is what I'm going after. Like, this is what I know. And so then when things would come up, then you had like sort of weigh it against this. Yep. Yeah. Because I had to recognize that my wellness was more important than any check, was yeah. more important than any opportunity, was more important than any thing someone was dangling in front of me that seemed like a good idea. Yeah. I had to pay attention to how saying yes all that time had led me to have to say no from a healthy place yeah. to be healthy. Yeah. You know, it was it, it was really... In retrospect, it's, it's very, I'm very proud of myself for being able to, to turn that corner and not feel that FOMO or that pressure at the expense of my happiness and wellness, you know? Yeah. Do you remember maybe when that started or even now still in the years since you realized you had that shift of like some places where you really struggled with that, where you were sort of being like torn and you're like, I, okay, like, but this person's doing this or asking me to this or whatever it was. And then being like, but I know, like, you know, that sort of trying to be like, is this aligned or not? Or I'd trying to force it. To I'd fit. say it was after I had my son. Yeah. Because for some stupid reason, um, women are view can be devalued after they have children in entertainment, um, which is so, so unfortunate and dark. Um, but this narrative that had been told to me is like pregnancy equals like the end of your career. Like, oh, you're going to have a baby. Like, yeah, like it's that's so, it. so it wouldn't be after I had my son. It would be while I was pregnant. Oh, OK. It'd be while I was pregnant where I felt like, oh, man, that must have been hard because oh, you're like probably so excited you're having a child. But then at the same time, like having doubts of like, what is my life going to look like now if everyone's telling me my career is over? Who 100%. I am? hundred percent. That's exactly uh, what it was. And, and I, I look back and I often see I don't regret many things, but I definitely I definitely regret allowing any of that outside opinion to steal any of the joy I had, I should have been experiencing in that time. Yeah. Even if it was a day, even if it was a minute, an hour, whatever, too much. It's not worth it. Nobody else is going to live your life for you. And what a joyous thing for my life. Like what a, my son is the greatest blessing that's ever happened to me. And so that fear, allowing again, that fear of like, oh, what the unknown and what does this mean? And da, 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 da. And I really wish I would have held on to more of my practices of what I, what I had known to be true. But in, in, in the same token, I was still evolving. 
Yeah. You know, I was still evolving into being this person that I am today. It's well, yeah, and we're all still evolving. And I think that that is like I definitely I feel like I didn't have not pregnant, but I feel like even in maybe like first year or two of being a mother, that parts of me maybe slipped away. It's like I loved it and I'd always wanted to be a mom. And so I and I was very much immersed and I'm a mom now. But then it was like there were some times I in after that year, like because I have two, I have a two year old and a four year old. Nice. So that was like, you know, so back to back almost or whatever. But um, there was then a year of me having to really start to uncover all of these things that I started to live back up into again once I became a mother because it was such a new experience. And I think it's a very fear-based experience also being a mother. Everyone has opinions. You want to do everything right. What's the best of this? The best stroll, the best way to get a kid to sleep, the best everything. That, There's like, no manual. And now I'm like, I'm to everybody like, just do what you want. Just do it. It's all like, I'm like to mom, like, it's okay. Calm down. Like, it's okay. Just yes. do what's going to work for you. And like, but it, it, I think in becoming a mom for the first time and I didn't have fear at all becoming a mom and then I became one and was like I don't know what this that what do I yes. blah 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 let me research everything and ask everybody 100%. every question and I lost a bit of a connection to myself and my strength and my value and who I am and all the talents and every you know all that's within me and but it's like okay that happened and now maybe I'm even more stronger in seeing one, all that of myself thousand and so for percent. you as well it's like yeah that probably sucked to have those oh yeah doubts in your pregnancy but now you're like Oh, well, because becoming a mother, once you like finally are like in it and you understand like, okay, all right. Like, I didn't know how to do that, but I'm doing it. Yeah. No one prepared me for it. I was like, okay, here I am being a mom. But now when you have these other people to care for and you have to be an example for them at all times, who do you want them to see you being? Yep. Someone who's operating from fear, someone who's operating from judgment from of other people, someone who's operating from, you know, um, what else? Just just any of the things that we just, you know, Doubt, envy, shame, comparison, oh, yeah. whatever it Judgment. is, jealousy, whatever, anything. And so it's like, no. Yeah. And so that made for a very big shift again in my life where I was like, oh, you're experiencing another shift. And it, ironically, it's seven years ago. And that's where we are now is that now I'm literally just like, who do you want to be for the rest of your life? Because I'm always going to be a singer. I'm never not going to stop singing. But how do I want to do music now? Right. Do I want to be chasing it and doing it the way that I've been doing it when I was young and inexperienced? And no. Yeah. I want to be settled and rooted and grounded and happy. And that's what I'm building now. That's what I'm creating for my, myself now in this part of my career and all the things that I want to be able to do in the spaces of motherhood and wellness and music. And that's kind of now what I'm expanding into being my truest self, being that three-year-old who said she wanted to be a singing nurse. <sighs> That's it. Right. It's full circle for me now. I understand it. I see it clear. I embrace it. And I know that my three-year-old self knew exactly who the hell I was supposed to be when I came on this planet right away. And I can never be more grateful for anything else because to be able to look back and know that I am connected to my true youngest self's purpose yeah. and vision for herself is, is just amazing. It is so amazing. I'm so thankful. Um, and, I, and it gives me great direction. You know, yeah. it gives me direction. It's like, you know who you are. You know what you're supposed to be doing. Don't get caught up in all of this stuff. 
you've done this, you've done that, you've done this, you've done that, you've tried this, you've tried that. You know what it is now. Keep going. Yeah. Just go. See what else is there. I love it. You just said that dark because I was going to, the next thing I was going to ask you was like, since you had mentioned other words or things you use that year, like, do you have anything now that helps you, especially with a mother and seeing as though that can help you then guide what choices you make? Have you been saying yes to like different opportunities and stuff? Because you've got a lot of awesome opportunities. It sounds like still like coming your way and that. Yeah. Like, so is that like, is it sort of like seeing this singing nurse and like, does this align? Yes, 100%. It is. It, you know, in 2012, it was awake. In 2015, 16, during pregnancy and um, birth and motherhood, it was surrender. Mm, yep. And that word, <laughs> yep. that word got me through that first year of, yep. I mean, that was, that was my word. I knew it was my word. And then my labor story, that was definitely my word. And so like surrender first year surrender. And now I'm not sure what my word is, but that singing nurse is it. It's purpose. It's just like you have that vision. It's, yeah. That can, it's really, it's really purpose now. And it's like, yeah. yeah, what is it? What is it that you want to do? Like, who are, who are you? Not what it is that you want to do, but like, who are you? And I know that through all of it, even through like the perils of the music industry, because, you know, music is beautiful, but the industry is mm-hmm. trash. <laughs> and I will say that for, and, and even the most successful people will tell you it's not a game. Yeah. It's not a game. It is not for the faint of heart. You see so many people who succumb to their demons because of music and fame and money. And I'm thankful to still feel like I'm an intact person, um, that I still have my, my soul intact and that I still feel um, that I'm grounded and humble and, and I'm still a student and I'm still learning. And I'm grateful and I'm still grateful for everything. So, you know, the good and the bad. I'm thankful that I can still have that perspective, even in the things that have been some of my most challenging obstacles in the music industry and in, in, in pursuing a, a musical career. Um, and some of those things are still present. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just so happy that I'm not allowing them to control my life the way that yeah. they did once upon a time. That I'm allowing myself to just be like, you know what your destiny is. You know who you are. That can't be stopped. Low frequency cannot go above where you're operating right now. So just let it let it operate where it's going to operate. Go high. Love that visual. Keep going higher. Vibrate higher. And um, it's been the best. It's been the best therapy for me in this last year, for sure. As well as therapy. Oh, yeah. Act, as well as actual <laughs> therapy. I was like, wait, therapy has been or that's been No, therapy. as well as actual therapy. I recommend therapy to everyone. <laughs> but finding the practices that work for me and the things that work for me. And, and those will shift though also too. All yeah. the time. <laughs> all the time. All the time. So but that's yeah. the thing is it's just, when you're aligned and connected with yourself, then you can allow for like, wait, is this serving me anymore? Does this work for me? What? Yes. <laughs> you can be questioning. I love yourself. that evolution. I love when I can come to a revelation about something like, this doesn't work for me anymore. No, thank you. Like, and I don't feel bad about it anymore. Yeah. Even if it means abandoning my older, even if it means abandoning parts of myself that I thought I would have forever, you know, even if it means that just, okay. Yeah. Doesn't serve you anymore. Keep going. It feels so good, right? To be able to Especially when you're operating from good intention. I think that that's, I think that that's the thing. I think. One thing that people have always asked me, and this is a question that the, every interviewer always asks, it's like, what do you think your best quality is, right? Like, what do you, what, what's the thing you love about yourself most? 
And I, it's really like most people are expecting to be like, oh, it's my smile or my hair. Or like, I really love my favorite pair of sneakers. Or like, <laughs> I love, no, I really love the fact that I truly believe in my heart and I know it that I am a good person. And I operate from that place my entire life. I really have. And it's been, it's, it's found me in situations where I've felt taken advantage of, where I have, but I don't regret it. Like I don't regret being pure or yeah. trusting, you know, like I don't, I don't regret that. Yeah. And so that's what I, that's what I want to be. I don't want to be calculated. I don't want to be playing chess all the time. It's exhausting. I know too many people who do that. And I've, I've had to distance myself from them, even though I love them very much. It's too much. I want to be free to be good, to be pure, and to know that if I'm operating from that space, that only the things that find me will be hopefully on that same frequency as well, you know? <laughs> yeah, because also, you know, the darkness likes the light and moths love a flame. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, sometimes people are drawn to your light and they're drawn to your spirit. And I think that when you're, when you're, when you're true in yourself, you can see. Yeah. And you also have more compassion. And totally, and not judgment. No, and it's like the more self awareness I think that we have for ourselves, then the more compassion I have for all other people. Absolutely. And so then it can make it be easier to deal with the judgments, with the hate, with anything coming your way. And not take it personally. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be about you, and it also doesn't have to be like, well, I'm better than you. It's just like, it's just like, okay, like I have my hand on my heart right now. I'm yes, just like, because that's all. That's all you see. Can do. Like, I see you. I, I don't s- have to take you on. I don't have to befriend you. Even I don't have to transform you. But like. But I see you. Yeah. <laughs> I see you. And I wish you well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a really freeing space to it's be in. so, because we take on so much. Back to the high school stuff of like, we live into that stuff so much. We live in so much stress that we don't realize we're causing it. Especially ourselves. now with like the social media. Oh, God. I've been, I'm telling you. I love, I mean, I love my supporters. I love the people that like love my stuff. But I would never be on social media if it was up to me. Oh, no, I would never, would never. It is up to you. It is up to me. But I do, <laughs> but I do understand. But you see, I had to change my perspective with social media. I was about media. to just say, like you had to choose. I had to choose. You had to choose how you're showing up. And because using it prior to recently, the why was always about getting more and doing more and being cooler and getting more and more and more. Because that's what the industry was like. You yeah. need to have that. Yeah. Because then we can give you this. If we see that people have this, we have this like, yeah, like I'm right now writing my first book proposal or like write a book. But of course, like I know that they're gonna be like, well, you only have this many people. And like that, that is a real thing. It's a real thing because it's a part of the currency. Yes, right now I understand that. But I remember I would fight the machine of that so much because I never wanted it to be contrived. You know, I never wanted it to be contrived. I never wanted to have to play that game just to play the game. Yeah. And so now that I feel like I understand my platform for what it is, for who I am, again, back to purpose and not selling something, it feels so much more fun. It just feels so much more enjoyable, you know, to have to to communicate with the people that are there for me that have been with me all this time on the way that I want to and have it not be about just selling records. Yeah. You know, it's great. Yeah, I love like, it. Why am I showing up here? Why and am you I sh- get to choose what you use it for and create? This it is for. my narrative now. Even if it's like the record label or whoever might see it for this thing, that you get to like how you're showing up and using yes. it and relating to it. Because believe me, no one was happy when I started talking about motherhood instead of music after I had my son. No one. Like 
there was a lot of people around me that I thought were going to be supportive for that of that. And, you know, who said they were supportive, but they weren't. They weren't. And I was like, but wait, this is my truth right now. Yeah. And this is actually what's a part of me. And I have to share this part and I have to share what's happening to me because I know there's other people out there that need that. And to be honest, even for my music, that's the way I've always approached my music. I've always seen the beauty of vulnerability through singing love songs that are not necessarily always the happiest ones that people are like, yes, girl, you're singing my life. Yeah. How Whitney Houston made me feel. Yeah. You know how the songs that I grew up listening to made me feel, even though I was only like 10 and I don't know nothing about love and heartbreak, but I right, knew but what you that could feel. I could feel it, you know? And so that's what music was for me. And that in that time, and then motherhood became that for me. And then wellness has carried me through both of those things. And so now it only feels natural to be all of those things at once. Yeah. And not have to choose. Yeah. So the music I make going forward has to be a reflection of that. Has to give something people to hold on to and feel connected to. One of the most recent songs that I, I wrote and um, created for my, my newer project, which will come out, um, is a song called Love Needs Love. And that was that came from such a place. This was after the election of 2016. And this was after like all these things. I just started to feel the shift of like just the energy of the world and becoming a mother and really being like, I got to give something for people. To, I got to create something for people to hold on to. Yeah. To know that like we're in this together and we need to be together now more than ed any other time because we all we have is this and like love is super powerful but we got to give love a little bit more love, love right now love. i love that i can't wait to hear it yeah it's like time can we try okay. to do five minutes oh yeah we got yeah i, I mean can, like my, my I questions i yeah. was like trying to like be let's like, do it oh, no you're saying good things i don't want to cut you off no let's do okay, it okay so first things first is i brought my keychains and i asked for everyone to pick which phrase they feel they most need to be re reminded of right now in their life Everything is going my way. Yeah. That's mine for sure. Yeah. And I feel like that is something that I've recently come to remind myself. And so I'm happy that I'm, that that's looking at me right now because, yeah. because there's been so many challenges this year for me. But again, I just, something that's come to mind is like, who's to say what's good or bad? Yeah. Because you can be in a bad situation, what seems like a bad quote unquote situation and then in retrospect, you look back and you're like, oh my God, what a blessing in disguise. Yeah. And so I think that everything is going my way is just, is, is my thing. That's been on my keys all year because it is, it's just such a nice, like, even if it feels like, you know, it. oh, what's happening or yeah, this, that, we're late, this, it's like, everything's working out. Everything's going my way. I might've gotten a no from that person, but it maybe it's going to come back around everything's going my way. Yes. Somehow is all working out. We just can't see all the pieces yet right yes. now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Everything is going my way. Okay. I have, I came up with this thing earlier this year and it's what is easiest for me is not always what is best for me. I don't know why I'm saying I came up. I'm sure other people have thought that, but basically I shared this thought. I was like, what's easiest for me is not always what's best for me. And it's like, of course, but it's that something that I've been able to like then this year be like, well, this feels easier, but what's best? Right. And so I ask everybody for to apply that in their life some way. What is easiest for me is to do this. What is best is to. Okay. And it can show up in many what ways. What is easiest for me 
<laughs> What's easiest for me is to um I want to get too personal, but um, <laughs> I was like, I feel what's, like yeah, I'm like, like I'm trying to be my higher self right now. <laughs> Whatever feels what's good. What's easiest for, you. for me is anger. What's easiest for me yep. is to allow my anger to take control and to tell off all the people in my life right now that have been horrible people to me, unwarranted. Like just really seeing people who I've trusted and loved very much, just seeing them for their their things that they are working through. Like you said, I see you, you know, and being angry and being like, how could you be this way to me? And, and writing them off and being reactive and being aggressive and anger. But what's best for me is understanding that negativity does not beget positivity. And so if I want to receive the things that are waiting for me on the other side, I have to be in a place of high frequency and compassion and forgiveness at all times. Yeah. Even when it's difficult to, because holding that anger and that rage, which I have felt at certain points in this year against people in my life has served me no good. But what I've recognized in the universe has been showing me the universe keeps bringing these people up to me in very like diffusing situations. And so this, anticipated um, confrontation that I thought was going to happen will not happen now because the universe is like diffuse, diffuse, release, let go. Do not hold it. Do not be reactive. When you see that person, do not be reactive. When you have a chance to speak to that person because I've been holding off. Yeah. And so um, the universe is just guiding me really to be like, don't, do not react you got it. You're in control. Operate proactively. You have everything you need. So what's easiest is to react. Yeah. What's, what's, what's easiest is to be reactive. What's best is to be proactive. Yeah. That's my summarization. Of yeah. That. <laughs> no, that's great. And that's so true. It, it, I mean, it can be so easy to go and dagger. And I am like a fiery person too. So like, what's even- your sign? I'm Aquarius. I'm not like, I'm like, I'm not a fire. Or I don't right. even know if there are fires. There are fires. Okay, I was like, wait, oh, what am I saying? We can do an astrology podcast. I'll, I'll tell you I'll all about it. it. Yes, there are. <laughs> but yeah, like it can be just even whatever with small things with my kids, even it's oh, like, yeah. <gasps> okay, and I have to like work more. I'm like, okay, like what's really happening? Same. What's the big picture? How can I approach this better? How and, can I have more patience? And just also, yeah, what I feel about and like living in rage and anger, I've, I can naturally do that too when it doesn't feel good. And so like, it's not even about the other person. So the forgiveness is not about the other person. It's just like to get it out of your own body. That is the, that is the thing that I learned the most from my breakup in 2012. That relationship taught me about forgiving someone without them giving you an apology. Yeah. And that was one of the most freeing experiences in my life to forgive like for you to like feel free and let it go and that doesn't mean again like oh i forgive you we're gonna be best friends you show up and this is just like you're letting go and it doesn't even mean that they know what they did totally but you don't even have to like have the conversation with them it's you it's me i've you've made the decision to let it go yeah yeah okay last question the name of the podcast is claim it claim it which um, before we turn record i said was because I feel like it's up to us to claim our joy, to claim our life, to claim our worth, to claim ourselves, to claim everything that it's not out 
there somewhere once I have this, do this, be this, then I'll feel great and everything will always be good forever and ever and ever. Exactly. Because that's not how life happens. No. (laughs) For the people that have it all. Not at all. It doesn't work like that. So what are you claiming for yourself today? Today. It's a game. Today. I am claiming this year or what are you claiming? Yeah. Moving forward. This is what I'm claiming. I'm claiming purpose. Mm. Yeah. I'm claiming purpose unapologetically. um, Again, not like my younger self, just being unapologetic and just being free to claim my purpose because again, it is bigger than any obstacle, any obstacle I'm going through. The cat seems to. The cat has come back. Hello, Katie. (laughs) You're claiming purpose. The cat came over when I said I claimed purpose. You said purpose, and he was like right right across the room, right to my feet. I love it. I receive that. I receive that. God speaks through animals. I receive it. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Love her. Love this conversation again. If you are not familiar with Melanie's music, go get it. Go listen to it. Go download it. Dance to it and sing to it while you're getting ready, while you're driving. So much soul. I'm obsessed. You can find all the show notes at yourdoyologist.com slash podcast. Find Melanie on Instagram and social media at Melanie Fiona. And her website is melaniefiona.com as well. For all things me, yourdoyologist.com. I'm at yourdoyologist. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review. That helps. It helps me to know that you're listening. I also love when you share the episodes and tag and tell me what you love, your ahas, your insights. I want to know you're listening. I want to know if the podcast is making a difference in your life. And it also helps to boost to get it to more listeners around the world. So please subscribe, share. If you leave a review, email it to me, podcast at yourdrawalgist.com, and I will send you a box full of goodies from my product line. Which reminder, you can use the code CLAIMIT for 25% off until December 31st. So go buy presents for yourself. Go presents for all the people in your lives. And I'm going to leave you with the final thought of what are you claiming for yourself right here in this moment? What are you claiming? Claim your joy. Claim your worth. Claim your value. Claim your enoughness. Claim you're an artist. Claim you're a writer. Claim you're a singer. What is it? Claim it.